0: If you're a local government enthusiast who's looking for fresh conversations over a hot cup of morning coffee or tea or while you're driving or walking the dog, you do you. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Local Gov Cafe podcast, hosted by Susan Gardner and Ann Mitchell. This podcast is devoted to having conversations that matter, covering the full menu of municipal topics. You'll discover guests who bring insight and inspiration to the issues that drive and challenge communities. We'll be talking with leaders in policy, practice, consulting, and academia to put a spotlight on civic government and the people who make it all happen at the local level. Good morning, Ann. Good morning, Susan. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here.
0: Why don't you tell us what's uh, on the menu this morning in the Local Gov Cafe?
1: Today we're going to talk about things that can go wrong in municipal government, and we're going to speak about how not to get cuffed. And get we're cuffed. really yes, I'm really excited to have the legendary George Cuff with us in the studio today. And as somebody who's been in local government for 26 years, I have read all of George's books. I've loved them. I have also given them to every member of my council in every municipality that I've been in and continually use. I've used his videos. I've used everything because George is a governance expert and he knows local government inside and out. And I'm really excited to talk to him today. We are very fortunate to have him in the studio with us.
0: Well, uh, George, of course, is noted for his no-nonsense approach to municipal governance, and I think at last count, I believe he'd conducted over 500 organizational studies and seminars across Canada, so it's a real treat to have him with us here this morning. Good morning, George.:
2: Good morning, Susan, and just to make sure that everybody is aware of uh, the fact that I haven't spent my life idling along. During the course of COVID, I ended up taking a count of all of the studies that I've been involved in, all of the uh, seminars that I've done, and I started with a blank piece of paper. And line by line, I typed on each study that I could find in the vast reservoir of uh, materials behind me and in my computer. And it turned out to be 700 seminars, uh, and still and still counting, by the way, and 450 major studies. So 1,150 client connections of one kind or another the studies of course sometimes go on for three to six months so that's significant in and of itself i mean some of them have been short term but for the most part these are fairly significant ones
1: and just to uh george i finished doing research through royal roads and my yeah. quest and you and i had a conversation but i must say all of your year information that you put out over the years was so helpful about local government. So we're fortunate to have all that data available to us.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, when you get to my stage, both of life and of career, you start to question, so what's it been all about? And uh, sort of the Peggy Lee song, is that all there is, uh, comes to mind. Obviously, I'm involved in other aspects of my life, including faith and community, but I my bulk of my work and my time has been involved in local government and in trying to assist in one way or the other. People wouldn't, wouldn't always associate my name with assisting, but that's what I tried to do. And nobody could fault me for not being honest. Uh, I have a reputation for being deadly honest, and sometimes that's discomforting. But uh, I'm called in sometimes when the organization, uh, the only thing left to do is to pronounce the benediction. And I'm probably pretty good at writing that. So anyway, I'm seldom called in when things are going great and somebody just wants a minor tune-up or whatever. That's happened, but it's not been particularly regular. Most of it has been, uh, we we know we're struggling at the top end of the organization. Uh, Nobody's ever called me in, by the way, on all these assignments. Well, with the exception of one, and that was a provincial government deputy minister. But nobody other than that has called me in and said, here's who we want you to fire. That's never happened in terms of local government. So it's always been, uh, maybe it's because they're getting smart at it, but it's always been, uh, we know we're struggling. We've had all kinds of issues. We want you to come in and help us figure out what the issues are, give us a recipe for moving forward. And uh, so that's what I've been doing. More recently, I've shortened the process. I do now what's called a governance audit, which I could probably start and finish within 60 days. And I've done a number of those, which look at the interface between council and senior management, looks at some of the processes that ought to be ongoing. And other than that, I do the odd deep dive, which is what I'm doing right now for the province of Alberta, who's appointed me as an inspector for the city of Chestermere, which is just east of Calgary, who have had some difficulties. And so just recently I've been appointed inspector to take a look at it and to write a report for the minister. Which, of course, has the added clout that I could recommend. And I am not saying I'm going there at all, but I could recommend dismissing the mayor, the council. uh, So it has a lot of potential uh, fallout for that kind of an inspection. So that's not the first of those that I've done. I've probably done 10 of those, but uh, they are challenging. And the question is is this the last one that I do? And it might well be. I'm not sure. You get to my age and stage, you start using the word last a lot more regularly than I did 25 years ago. So 26-year career and is a good lengthy career. And Susan had a 30-year career as editor, publisher at Municipal World. I'm not entirely sure how many years, but she was there for quite a while and acquitted herself exceptionally well. So you guys have had good careers and bring lots of value to local government.
1: Thank you well, so much. I think- I Thank you, George. And when I was at Royal Roads, they asked me why I was at this age of my life doing master's in leadership and what did I want to focus on? And I said, I want to fix local government before I retire, <laughs> which is uh, not arrogance, really. It's delusional optimism because I'm so yeah. passionate about local government. And to somebody like you who's been so prolific with your governance stance and the way you are, I think we need directness now. Because we know that role clarity is such a problem and it seems to always keep rearing its ugly head. How do we get these people that come into this local government role to understand better that they're there for vision setting? So I guess that leads into our topic today, which is how do we not get cuffed, which I think (laughs) you're going to lead us through that.
0: I was going to say, yeah. there's, there's a the history you described, George. The trust that's been placed in you by organizations, and uh, you know, as you said, the province. Even where you've been called in, there came to be this saying, "You got cuffed," uh, yeah. in those yeah. uh, those cases. So we're going to ask you to draw on a little bit of that and and yeah. share those uh, share those uh, tips today.
2: So let me jump in and you guys feel free to interrupt and I'll otherwise roll along, which I'm notorious for doing. And as I said to you earlier, this is largely off the cuff, but obviously when you've worked at this for as long as I have, some of these things come to you a little bit more quickly than perhaps to others. Let me just start with something that Ann just referenced and it's point one on my list and that's role clarity. I jokingly say that if it wasn't for those two words, I have been out of business 42 years ago. But the answer is it was an issue then, it's an issue now, and it's an issue that's going to plague uh, local governments for a long time to come, based on what I've seen and what I continue to witness. And I think for a municipal manager, department head, you need to spend a whole lot of time focusing on how do we, as a municipal body, ensure clear roles for council. Uh, and for senior management in particular for the CAO. And I said to a group in Saskatchewan the other day, I did a seminar in Saskatoon, I think it was, I said, you know, you guys, uh, when I look at the problem, I'm looking at you, Uh, which is probably not all that comforting for them to hear, but because often the problem starts with people that are supposedly knowledgeable in local government, and they're the ones that are drawing in council members, mayors, and so on, uh, into their bailiwick, as opposed to saying, what does a council... Why is the council elected? What's it supposed to do? And very little time, to be quite candid, very little time is spent on that. When they hear me speak, you know, the lights are going on and uh, and people are saying, oh, that's what we're missing and so on. But, you know, this is for people that are 20 and 30 years in the business. And they spent all of this time welcoming in mayors and managers and saying, here's what we do. Isn't it wonderful? And uh, to me, it absolutely destroys uh, local government right from the outset. So I've given examples from Ontario, gave an example from Alberta. I and mean, one of my favorite ones is in southern Alberta, not far from where Anne is located. And the message was uh, to a council, was, they had their orientation program, which I asked to see a copy of before I started. And item one was introduce council to the members of the public works staff. Yeah, you've got to start asking yourself, so why would we do that? Why wouldn't we start with what is a council elected to do, i.e. governance? What does governance look like? What is council's meeting supposed to look like? Uh, Why would we not have council focus on the procedure bylaw, focus on the policies, focus on the strategic plan that's in existence, if it is, all of those kinds of things. But no, they start off saying, what we do is really exciting. What we do is really wonderful. What we do is really value added. What you do is not that important. So what we're going to do is introduce you to what we do, because we don't know what you do. You just got elected. I mean, it's tragic when you think about it, but unfortunately- and I could go on and on and on and spend seminars talking about, which I have. I just think that that's absolutely the fundamental basis. If you want to get stay in your role as a municipal manager, continue to elevate your site and get councils focus on what councils should focus on, because otherwise it is so simple for them to de-elevate into your particular area and say, here, let me help you. And I'm going through some of that right now in studies that I'm doing. To me, it's uh, unconscionable that a manager... Would allow that to happen, or quite frankly, in some cases, willingly embrace it. And then they call me and say, gee, George, we got a real problem here. Our council's too involved in detail.
1: Well, that's one thing, George, I always say to my staff is that they will, council will wander into the weeds, but lots of times we pull them into the weeds yeah. by the way we do things, by the way we do our reports, or the way we do that. That's really interesting. And I, I think that role clarity is so critically important, really
2: is. Absolutely. The second point that I jotted down is a, you know, kind of a generic catch-all phrase, but it's vitally important, and that's leadership. I think managers are hired to lead in support of a council that's involved in community leadership. So I think uh, municipal managers are expected to lead from the top and sometimes from behind, but largely from the top. As a CAO or as a department head, you have to have some vision for where are we going, uh, some sense of direction if you're going to be an effective leader. So your CAO is got to be seen by other people in the community as uh, there's the leader administratively of our municipality. We have a mayor who leads politically and legislatively, but we have a CAO who's well known to the head of the school system, administratively, the superintendent of schools. Uh, We have a CAO that's well known to the medical officer of health or to the uh, head of the uh, medical system in the community. The CAO is well known to the executive director of the chamber of commerce. Uh, The mayor is known to the chairman of the board or president of the chamber. And so there's a distinction because there's a a distinction that most people understand. Uh, Mayors talk to cabinet ministers, uh, CAOs talk to deputy ministers and below uh, and that's the way the system should work. And so if you're providing quality leadership, you're doing a whole range of things, but you understand that your role as an administrative leader is a very fundamental aspect of being being a good municipal manager. And I'm not sure that that's fully understood by a whole lot of folks who try to sort of hide their candle under the bushel. They try to walk around presuming that they're anonymous in the community. I don't think you ought to be anonymous as a CAO. I just don't think you ought to be the first one to the microphone when you're in a public gathering. I think that's got to be the mayor who's got to lead the charge. The first person to defend a particular decision or policy should be the mayor. The person that's asked to say, how do we put all this stuff together in terms of a major project is the CAO and department heads. And so leadership is critical. I've been to council meetings where you'd be absolutely puzzled to figure out who's the CAO because the CAO has been so adept at having council talk to everybody else but the CAO. And eventually I say to the CAO, so if you're that ineffectual and if you're that anonymous, why don't we just get rid of you and we'll use these other people. So I deal with CAOs that think, oh, we're being egalitarian. Oh, we're being, you know, we're sharing leadership, all that kind of stuff. All the namby-pamby words that sound nice. But at the end of the day, when the, when the council goes to do a performance review, the question is, who is our principal advisor? And if there's are in their head saying, I think it's the head of public works, it's the head of community services, or it's the head of whatever, uh, somehow you've got to figure out as a CAO, you've gone off the path. You've been so busy trying to get rid of your role as a leader and delegate it to everybody else. And I understand all about elevating your department heads, letting them speak. But I'll tell you something, if I go to a council meeting and the councillor is not saying through you, Madam Mayor, to our CAO, stop, there's something wrong with the process. And you say, yeah, but the question's really going to go to public works. Yeah, but the person who makes that choice is the CAO, not the councillor, not the mayor. It's the CAO. And you've got to establish these fundamentals right out of the gate or you miss it entirely and council starts to see everybody reporting to them directly. So what does that do? They now dive into every department. It's a welcome to my shop and it doesn't work.
1: And you know what, George, you were good enough to share with me a communication policy a few years ago that kind of directed everything through the CAO. And I implemented that in my last two municipalities. And it's only a piece, obviously, but it made it really successful. So I had one councillor here that was kind of ironic. He at the beginning was calling my directors and I had a very frank conversation with him. And now with the new counselors, he's saying everything has to go through the CAO. That's yeah. how it works. And I was yeah. like, God, we,
2: yeah, got got the we got the message. The third element of being a good CAO and avoiding being tough, which has come up when I've gone into organizations, is really, again, these are all fundamental, very simple. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> simple things are often avoided and, and not done very well. The third one is respect for the law. And, and it sounds very simple. we say, Oh yeah, I understand that. I understand that. But they don't. And so they go past it. So what's the law for a municipality? Well in Ontario it's called the Municipal Act and in Alberta it's called the Municipal Government Act and BC it's called the Community Charter. And there's a variety of words used to define all of that across Canada. And I've worked in all 10 provinces, all three territories. And I understand that there's legislation that says uh, here's what people are to do. And the legislation purposely, it's broad. But it's still quite fundamental. So it'll say, here's what the mayor's role is. Uh, Here's what the role of a council is, or councillors. Here's what the role of a CAO is, and or department heads. And some of that goes, in my view, past the post. Uh, Some of it puts too much attention on clerks and treasurers and not enough on the CAO, which I think is, unfortunately, what's missing in certain provinces. Uh, Some of the provinces make it even... questionable as to whether or not a CAO is even particularly required, i.e. BC and Ontario, where it doesn't say a municipality must designate a CAO, it says it may. And to me, that's fundamentally foolish. So we need to have somebody heading up municipalities. That should be the law. So in the case of Alberta, for example, the law comes in and says, you must establish a code of conduct. Well, it's a good law. And so municipality doesn't have any choice. We're going to do a code of conduct. And my next phone call, by the way, is dealing around a code of conduct inquiry that they're asking me to weigh in on. You know, another thing that came in in my own province is, you and maybe I, m- I might have influenced this one a little bit, I'm not sure, but you must conduct a performance review of your CAO. Well, to me, that's fundamentally good management. It's fundamentally good governance for a, good, for a council. That's the law. You're not now given a choice. Do we do a review of our CAO? It's absolutely fundamental. Otherwise, what happens is you don't do any review until there's a disaster. And then somebody will say, well, let's fire the person. Somebody else will say, well, when's the last time we did a performance review so that we can mitigate our financial damages? And the answer is you haven't. My best one was doing a municipality in northeastern New Brunswick and I asked the head of public works, so how long you been here? He said, 33 years. I said, well, that's amazing. That's the guy's, what, 55. I said, so when was your last performance review? He said, 32 and a half years ago. One review in 33 years. And it was six months into his tenure. And he said, I'm not here because of the feedback from our CAO or from council. I'm here because my people that report to me appreciate what I am and what I'm trying to do and so on. Anyway, it was a good response. But to me, the tragic part of that is who's missing it? You know, what fundamental practices are we not doing? So if anybody read any of my inspection reports, any of my corporate reviews, they're virtually now all available. And if somebody wants, I'll send you one. So there's a a list of fundamental management practices. Are you doing this? In fact, do you hold management meetings. Do you provide some guidance to your own employees? Do you do performance reviews of your own employees? Do you have a communications program? There's all these fundamental management practices. Are you doing this? Are you providing good reporting to your council? Are you meeting with the mayor before council meetings? These are all fundamental basis points. So that's a third one, respect for the law. What does the law say? And this applies, by the way, to a council. That if the law says this is a fundamental responsibility of your CAO, do not go past go, do not collect $200, this is the CAO's job, then that's the law. It's not a suggestion. It's that this is a requirement. And people sometimes read an act and say, oh, well, these are parameters. These are suggestions. No, actually, it's the law. So I would say to a municipal manager, you better understand at least the basic portions of the act. You don't have to memorize 705 sections. But you've got to get about five of those figured out because they're fundamental and are ones which I would cover in the course of an orientation. The The fourth the, the key one would be assessing management. And I think assessing management is important because you need to, as a, as a CAO, make sure that you've got the right people, the right players at the table. So if you want to be, and I remember talking to Gordon McIntosh, who I think you've talked to and and uh, he's well known across Canada and a good a good individual. And by the way, he began, he began one of his early jobs working for me when I was the mayor in Spruce Grove. And he was one of our department heads. And then he was, by the way, the only full-time management consultant that I've ever hired. Uh, everybody else has been contractual. But in any case, George said to me at one point when he was with Islands Trust out in the, bank, in the Gulf Islands off of Vancouver, between Vancouver and Victoria, he said, when I'm hiring somebody... As one of my executive members, he said, I'm looking for people who aren't me. I'm looking for people who fill in blanks that I don't fill in. I'm looking for a mix of people at the table so that we can challenge each other. The last thing you want is a clone. And the last thing you want is a clone that's worse than you are. So to me, it was a darn good assessment of what should be happening. And I think assessing management is what a CAO has to be doing, is looking at who do I have in the shop? Who are the key pieces that I have? I mean, we're going through the Stanley Cup playoffs. And so what does a coach do? Well, a coach says, what quality of people do we have for what roles and at what time? When do we need these players? Who do we need to step up now? Well, that's the role of a CAO is to assess the quality of management, say, who do I need to spend more time with and develop? I'm not going to throw them up and let them sink on their own. My job is to make them all successful. So how do I do that? And number five is this whole issue of setting strategic priorities. A lot of it is... That sort have of been in my mind, and I hate to say this because I've got colleagues that are involved in local government strategic planning, and I don't want to deep six all of that. I'm sure I wouldn't, but I think often what happens is that we get so focused on a managerial approach to strategic planning that we forget the council has a quite different eyesight, quite different approach, quite different role. So I would argue that a council should be involved in strategic thinking. And a manager's or a visioning, and a manager should be involved in strategic planning. And I think the strategic planning is putting all of the information together and saying, right, council said this was their direction. How do we go about putting their boots on the ground in terms of achieving something different this year based on what they said uh, during their retreat, which might have been held, hopefully within the first sixty days of a council term of office? So strategic priorities is a management team that can sit around a management table and say to themselves, what's on first base? What are we going to try to accomplish this year that perhaps we haven't previously? Uh, Where do we need to be ahead of the curve? Uh, What challenges are we facing or expecting to face? And how are we supporting what we heard this council say campaign? So how are we trying to line this up so that when we sit down with council, we can point out these are the priorities administratively that we're currently working on, uh, and we're here to support your uh, political visionary kinds of priorities. So uh, to me, it's... It's not how do we become council and let's all work on this together. And I've done exercises and been involved in exercises where they have council and management together. Then everybody's asked to throw their ideas up on the wall and everybody's asked to go up there and vote on what's the best idea and what's the worst idea and all that kind of stuff. And it all sounds egalitarian and friendly and all that kind of stuff. The question at the end of the day is that's not a role for management. Management's role is to advise on what do we see coming at us. And council's role is to determine what's the priority out of all of this. What do do we see? Which may not, by the way, be on a managerial checklist. So managers, I think, have to be fundamentally aware of what's my role administratively as the CAO. What am I doing in terms of establishing what the priorities are for my administration? And then how do I drive that forward? So that's a a fundamental part of uh, good management. And so if I go into an organization, they say, when I ask them, so what are you doing to help set strategic priorities? And they go, huh? No, that's not a good sign to me. It's not a sign that somebody's got their act together. It's a sign that everybody, everything looks like a priority. Let's come to work Monday morning. Everything's the same. Let's just go through the motions. Let's make sure that people are cutting the grass or shoveling the snow, all of that kind of stuff. And quite frankly, it doesn't work. So what are we doing to make sure that as a management group, at the end of the year, we're going to be asked to report. You should start to write the annual report on January 1st. You should start to say, these are the things that we're going to be accomplishing during the course of this year. And they depart somewhat from the previous year or they build on the previous year. So that's strategic priorities. The sixth one is one of setting a budget process. And again, if you ask, so what questions do I ask when I go into do an organizational review I've got a whole list of fundamental questions, some which I go at more seriously than others, and some I just let the person I'm talking to wander a bit, and I follow where the wandering goes, because it's often more revealing and more interesting than my own questions. But one of the questions that I ask is sort of, uh, where are you at in the budget process? So it doesn't matter what part of the year, people should be able to tell me where they're at. Have we just finished? If the budget is for the year 2022, I would presume that they would have had that all put to bed by December the 15th of 2021, uh, because the budget is a fiscal forecast of what's going to happen in the next year. I don't want to find out that they're still working on it in May, which unfortunately is the truth, that some of them are. And I'm thinking, how could you do that? That's like cheating. Because that's like giving me an exam, and you've given me five twelfths of the exam that I can do in advance, and now you're going to ask me whether or not I can get the last seven twelfths correct. To me, it's uh, unconscionable that we would do stuff. like I don't care what the Act says. You can do a fundamentally fine-tuning at the last day and say, well, some things have changed a little bit and we've got to adjust these numbers. I want to know what your budget process looks like. When did you start administratively putting together a budget timeline? When do you, what process are the departments at? When do they have to get stuff into the CAO? What does the CAO do with that material? When does the CEO call a management meeting to have first crack at it? Because there's often, I tell council, there's more blood on the floor at a management meeting than there is at a council meeting around budget, because managers are trying to debate their important priorities compared to everybody else's. So when have you done that? And then when do you start moving this forward to the political side and you start looking at the strategic priorities of the council and saying, now, how does this stuff line up? And are we in actual fact reflecting anything to do with strategic priorities? Are we doing that? So where does council get involved? And I said this and it horrifies some people, but council by the by and large should be able to cover an operational budget and in about two or three meetings. This is not two or three months, this is two or three meetings, a couple hours, CAO stands up, introduces the budget, because it's the CAO's budget, it's not the treasurer's, treasurer's department head. CAO is the one that owns the budget. So the CAO stands up and says, right, council, here's the brand new budget for 2022. It's going to reflect the following da-da-da-da-da, which is the difference from last year. And now we're going to have the treasurer go through it in more detail. That's how this should flow. Why do you do that? Well, because it shows to council who's ultimately responsible for whether or not it goes off the tracks administratively. And it's the CAO. It's not the treasurer's neck that's on the line. It's the CAO's neck. So CAO has to understand, what am I doing in terms of guiding this budget process? Uh, How do I roll that forward? So that's, in my mind, a a critical piece for any CEOs to understand, where do I step in? Where's my responsibility? Where's my accountability? And can I own up at the end of the year in terms of how well this has been done? So does the council push back on some of that? Perhaps. Can you get through an operational budget in two or three meetings? Absolutely. Can you go for three months? Yeah, if you've got people that are anal and want to get into all the weeds and all the details. and Oh, how much are we spending on lawnmowers? how much are we spending on cell phone? I mean, give me a break. If you have to go into that kind of stuff and that kind of detail, you're saying to your CAO and your treasurer, we don't trust you. We have no faith in you. You need my advice because after all, I used to work at home hardware.
1: George, I don't know if you remember this, but I did send you an email because I was having a challenge at one of my earlier municipalities. And I reached out to you because I had a counselor that wanted to go line by line through the budget. And you suggested that I give her the budget and put her in a room and leave town.
2: <laughs> yeah, I just think, you know, I would get every page of the of the 500 or 900 page document of a budget, put it in a side room and say to any counselor, you want to sit down and go line by line? There's the budget because we're not going to cover that at the meeting. At the meeting, we're going to give you the broad pieces and we're going to say from last year, we're going to this year. And these are the changes. And because uh, I've sat through council meetings and, not, in fact, a good sized municipality where the councillor is saying, I move that we reduce the economic development department by 0.3 of an FTE. I think, uh, what? How on earth would you know what to be reduced or not? Why not just say to the CAO, we want the budget reduced by 1% or whatever. Come back and show us what you had to change in order to make that adjustment. That's a good relationship between council and a management that's trusting and reflecting. When you've got council involved in all the nitty gritty details, it's a reflection to me that you can't manage. And you're welcoming council into my shop of management. That to me is it sends off all kinds of alarm bells.
0: If you're in uh, one of these municipalities, leading in one of these municipalities, and we know many people are in this situation, as you said, that uh, in May you're still working on the budget for the current year and you want to make this change, this culture, change to the culture, change to the process. You really should start preparing your team and your council now for the change yep. that you're going to yeah. make this shift.
2: Yeah. If you haven't, as a CAO, started the talk budget by uh, May, June of the current year for what's going to happen next year, you're already behind. So I want to know that in your management team meeting, which is one of the documents I asked to see when I do a review is what's on your management table. What's on the agenda. Oh, we just sort of get together and we throw ideas. No, that's not a team meeting. That's a, you know, off the cuff presentation by whatever, you know, it doesn't go anywhere. There's no minutes. There's no action item. There's nothing. You might as well not meet while well, we meet because one of your reports said we should meet. Yeah, but I didn't just say that. I said, we need to have an agenda for what we're going to cover and we need various speakers to cover those points. Well, I just think it's, it's fundamental that we do the same thing with regard to budget planning. We need to say, where are we at in this? And I think, you know, and some people might argue that, George, the next year's budget process starts in February or March. I would be, you know, that wouldn't surprise me because municipalities realize this is the biggest policy document of the whole year. If we don't get this right, the rest of it's not going to happen. So we need to make sure that budget process is very clear in terms of what is the process and then make sure you outline and say, where does council fit in? Where does management have their role? Where does council have the role? And when does this thing get approved? And why don't we do it on December the 24th? Well, everybody looks like they've got a halo around their head on December 24th. And why don't we do it January 4th? It's because everybody's very money conscious because they blew their budget over Christmas and now they're trying to draw it back in the, in January. So you want to make sure you've got it done by December the 15th. There's actually some logic to all of this if people said, took time to think it through. So item seven, I think that's where I'm at, is review of the CAO. You want to avoid being cuffed. You make sure that you... If it's not a requirement in your province, you make sure that you compel your council to do the review. You say, council, we've got it coming up in two months' time. I'm going to be the subject of the your only item on the agenda is going to be me. We're going to be meeting for one evening for a couple of hours. I'll outline to you the process that has been historically followed. You might decide to shift the process, change it, whatever fine by me. And here's some things that need to be addressed. Who's going to quarterback it? Is that the mayor? Or are we bringing in an outside consultant or somebody like the superintendent of the school board if you're in a smaller community and you can't afford consulting services? And by the way, I used to say that it should be done strictly by council, no external involvement until I got asked to do a review or assist the council because what the council thought they were saying was the exact opposite of what the CAO thought he was hearing. And so they brought me in to help quarterback the review. I just think there are certain processes to this. Some of the information is available through Canadian Association of Municipal Administrators. There's a more simple design that somebody named Tuff has put together and you could contact me and I'd send it out to you. But the process needs to be in place. A format needs to be agreed upon. You can't just wing it. And council needs to be convinced that this is important. If it's not required by legislation, it's at least required by good management practices. So is it being done or are you avoiding the inevitable, which is three years later, you're going to be gone because you never heard what council was concerned about. So don't think you're being saved by not having cuff or anybody else around to, to help with a review. You aren't. You're simply missing the opportunity to grow in your own role. And so to me, if a review hasn't been done, it sends loud signals that it's not, by the way, the mayor. I want to know, where's your memo that advised the mayor that this needs to be done? That'd be one of my questions. Don't tell me, oh, council. It's like people say, well, council doesn't set policy. I've heard that for the last 42 years. I said, well, give me an example of the last one that you sent to them. What? I said, yeah, management's the one that drafts these things. Management's the one that understands what needs to get done. Management's the one that runs up against the fact there is no policy. So send me a copy of your draft policy that you sent to council. Oh, we thought that was council's role. Well, it's their role to approve policy. It's not their role to write them. If you got that problem, you've got a much bigger problem. Again, it gets into all kinds of detail and processes and so on. So that's a review of the CAO. It's fundamental. It needs to be done. Fortunately, more and more municipalities are picking up on that, whether they need to or they have to. They're at least starting to pick up on the process. Those are seven. Now I'm going to give you this bonus because I'm going to throw in three others, and I think we have time. So I'm going to put in three other things that I think will help save a CAO or department head. If they're thinking about this, they'll say, why have we not figured this out already? Why aren't we doing these processes ourselves. So item eight is governance model. And it's something that I've written extensively about. I mean, what topic, haven't I? But anyway, it's something I've written a lot about. And um, governance model says, how do we make decisions? It's a real simple question. How does council approach decision making? What processes do they use? They go from an issue to a decision and what fills in the gap between it? What's, what, what does that council use to go from the issue that's raised by the public or by management, often more often by management, the CAO, the clerk, uh, to getting to a point of making a decision? So, do you get all these things on your council agenda package and you're expected to rush to the finish line? Is that what happens? Uh, you have a good discussion of council and then somebody says, I move. And of course, I go through this and I take a look at the agenda package and say, So, where's this, what I call an RFD, a request for decision? Where's your RFD? Where does it have a sign-off by you as the CAO saying what you recommend? Oh, I thought that was council's dis No, no, no. Council makes a decision based on your advice. So where's your advice? And so to me, that's fundamental. So governance model has a whole series of components to it. When does council meet? Do they have a standing committee system, which I'm less and less in favor of? Do they have a committee of the whole system, which is where I would go, except I wouldn't call it cow. which is kind of... De- if feeds the purpose. I would, uh, unless you're in the agricultural business like Huron County or whatever, I'd be calling it the Governance and Priorities Committee because that's what I think council should be involved in is governance and priority setting. So a GPC makes good sense to me. If you were a reasonable-sized community, you'd have two council meetings a month, and the in-between weeks, you'd have a GPC meeting where we could review the top three items that are going to go forward to council. So don't take the whole agenda and run it through council in advance so that we needed to baptize it. Uh, the issue is we want to make sure we're focused on what are the ge- big issues that are coming up at this agenda. So who decides that? After all, it's called the council agenda, which I always think is funny. Because some councils have nothing to do with the agenda pact. So why do we, well, we could call it administrative items that require council baptism. But that's a long title, so we call it the council agenda. But where's council's involvement? So I would say you have an agendas committee which is made up of the mayor, the deputy mayor, or a rotating councillor. And I think deputy mayor should be rotated. The mayor, the deputy mayor, the CAO, and the clerk. Those four people should sit down, review what's going to go onto the agenda as proposed by the CAO and the clerk. The mayor and the deputy mayor get a good understanding of those items, and they get to ask questions like, so where's that item the council talked about at the last meeting? Why is it not on the agenda? So it kind of forces the administration to make sure there's follow-up to council inquiries and all of that kind of stuff. And that's a complex or can be a complex, complicated process. But fundamentally, uh, council needs to be involved in the governance process at the right point to have the right influence. And I think if you don't have involvement in what I call the pondering stage, which is between issue and decision, if council is not involved in that, they're being forced into a decision making process that feels too hurried. And often they push back and they delay items and so on because you force them to do that. Rather than giving an opportunity to say, here's the three big items on council's agenda for this coming meeting. What's our, let's prepare a background report. No recommendation. Keep that away at the moment. Put the background report in front of council. Put the options into the background report. And then say, let's have a discussion. What questions do you have? And if you're a good CAO and you're listening at clerk CAO, you'll make sure that you then think, so what questions have council asked? Those questions need to be addressed at the council meeting. So let's make sure we add to the report, address the questions we heard, and put in the final recommendation. And the recommendation needs to be apolitical. It's what do we as administration think should be done on this issue from an apolitical point of view, not let's try to second-guess counsel. If you do that, you're in the wrong business entirely. So that's governance model. That's number eight. Let me cover two more and uh, I'll quit. Number nine is procedures. So this is the opposite of what I would talk about in terms of policy governance, uh, which is in number eight. It's so the whole policy approach and how do we develop policy and all of that. I could have uh, written a book on it. So what's number nine? Well, number nine is what procedures do we put in place and why is that important? Well, in my mind, the procedural part of policy is management. I want to know when you put a policy forward that you've already worked on the what I call managerial directives. I stay away from the word managerial policy. I think all you do is confuse everybody. Councils in the policy-making business, you aren't. You approve managerial directives, can have the same clout internally as a policy would. This is what supports good policy. The policy is we do performance reviews throughout the organization on an annual basis. That's one statement, good policy. How do we do that? That's a managerial process. So you outline all of that in terms of procedures. So I think having those managerial directives slash procedures is the administrative part of good governance. The second part of procedures, in my funny way of approaching life and things, is to make sure that you've got a quality procedure bylaw. Now, if you ask me what should council be involved in right out of the gate, is let's talk about what are the procedures say about how you run a council meeting. And if these procedures go on and on and on and go past probably 15 pages, I would tell you you've got the wrong procedure bylaw. And people go, huh? And right now, as a matter of fact, I'm doing a review of a New Brunswick city that's asked me to take a look at their procedure bylaw, their CAO bylaw, and a couple of other things. And I'm trying to bring some clarity to it and say, so what should be in a procedural bylaw? Well, we don't need to reference Robert's rules because Robert wrote those for a whole bunch of other reasons. And we don't need to rely on those because it says in the act and virtually every act across Canada, it says council shall establish procedures for meetings. That's what it says. That's Cuff's vernacular, but that's what it says. Uh, does it say Roberts? Does it say Bourneau? Does it say some other rules? And no, it doesn't. This is council shall establish meeting procedures. So I want to know what procedures have you established for your council uh, that you recommend up to council that are as simple as can be. I don't want to see how smart you are so that somebody has to become the parliamentarian and they can now jerk everybody else around on council because they're the only ones that understand parliamentary procedures. Get rid of that. They want to do that. They can go to the meeting of the Cross-Canada Agricultural Societies and they can stand up and and tout their particular knowledge of it. And I shouldn't say that because I've just done a whole bunch of work with agriculture. But anyway, you know, to me, that's we get caught up in this stuff and management, therefore, holds council meetings into their own lap rather than saying, council, this is your meetings. We want to make these user friendly. Uh, We want to make sure it's clear. So should we have the agenda written in a procedure bylaw? No, you shouldn't, because you might want to change the agenda approach. Most of these things are old, they're dated. So what governs what it is we do? Well, procedure bylaw does. You walk into your first meeting, somebody's waving at you, the procedure bylaw. So if you want to ask me, what should a council do right out of the gate? They should take a look at their current procedure bylaw and ask themselves, is this going to work for us? This thing was approved in 1983, which is one I just looked at. This was approved in 1983. We've gone past decades past that and nobody's changed it. Does that mean they did everything right then? Probably not. It's just that everybody got tired looking at it and they just kept it on. So I want to know what is your procedure say for council meeting and are they simple? Do they defer to the mayor to have some final authority? Because that's who the community chose as their leader. Do they allow the mayor to be the last speaker on an item rather than the first, which is what, like if I'm a mayor, I'm not gonna be the first out of the gate. All that means is I'm going to get shot at by six other people on a seven-member council. I'm not that dumb. I go around the table and ask the other six people, what do you think? And then I'll say what I think at the end. But well, that's where I think a mayor adds value. He says, or she says, or they say. On the one hand, here's what we've heard on this particular side of the equation. We also heard, on the other hand, this side of the equation. And here's where i landed for these reasons. Now, motions on the floor, all those in favor. And you've got a good motion. You've got a I deal with councils of five people, and you're going to have a seconder? For what reason would you have a seconder? You only got five people at the table. So let's have a part of our procedure that wipes out seconders. We did that with the council of seven. It works fine, by the way. Can you do that with the council of 23? Probably not. You need at least one other voice to think it's a good idea. There's a whole series of these things that people need to think through, and they don't. They just put the procedure bylaw in front of council. There we are. Here's what somebody. Somebody should be asking the question, so who thought this was a good idea? That's my question. So that's number nine, procedures. It's a broad topic and I could go into much longer, but I won't. And then finally, sort of it's number 10 was the powers of counsel, uh, where they felt. You know, part of this dates back to role clarity but, and also respect for the law. But item 10 is powers of a council, And I think management needs to understand that council exercises authority through bylaws and resolutions. Now, they do a whole lot of things within that. So they establish a, a, a municipal plan or a planning document required by the Planning Act or whatever is the case in your province. Uh, they do things like establishing a, a bylaw around a code of conduct that's part of council's requirements or at least good, good governance. Uh, they pass uh, resolutions that deal with the issue of the day, which may or may not be a policy issue, but it needs to be approved by council. So council's power is established at a council meeting. It's reflected at a council meeting. And otherwise, it is the informal power of the mayor that is what's being influenced. So, and I've just written a book on the mayor. The mayor has tremendous decibels, tremendous voice, and can use it very effectively and persuasively or not. But quite frankly, the power of a council is, are we passing good resolutions and passing good policy, passing good bylaws? That's the big question. Uh, We can mutter all we want at a council meeting, but if it's not being translated into bylaws and resolutions, nothing's going to happen. So go ahead and mutter. Have your best meetings out in the parking lot or at the coffee shop. Nothing's going to change. You're going to think it is, but it isn't because power is only exercised legitimately inside chambers. So that's, uh, I've left you a couple of minutes at least to have any last minute questions, but that's 10 views. If you're going to be a good manager, if these 10 don't follow somewhere on your list of what you should be doing as as a CAO, Uh, I would be quite surprised. Now, could you add another five quite easily? I could at least, you know, there are other issues that could be addressed and some with a little bit more eloquence than what I've done. But I just think these are fundamental to good management. If you're following up on these, you're probably not going to get caught out on a whole lot of stuff that you wish you had. And so let me just close with one that I think surrounds all of this, and that's ethics. You will either retain your authority to lead by virtue of your ethical stance or you won't. And if your ethics are at question, you will lose your status as a manager and CAO. So regardless of what senior level position you have, if your ethics are at question, council will quit listening. The public will quit buying into your argument when they find out that you've got an involvement in this numbered company that's about to try to purchase this piece of municipal land, or that you find out that you've been involved inappropriately with the department head, or they find out that you've been, as they just read about, uh, one of the issues from British Columbia where the CAO was involved in padding expense accounts and adding items on that would make no sense to anybody. It's is within the last two days I read this stuff and I just think why and somebody that I knew too, which disappoints me. So why would you do this? Why would you see public money as your own? And and to me that's a big part of ethics. Why would you allow a council to do stuff that is absolutely verboten? It's absolutely past the post. Why would you allow a mayor to come in and say, "I'm resigning as mayor, but I want you to hire me as the head of economic development"? That's been done. So, I mean, it, it's so to me, it's again, it just zeroes in on what's your ethical quotient, and can you carry that through to the end of your term? And I think there's an expression that says, "Character is the one thing you can take into a room and take it out with you if you care to." So, another quote that I just—they have a nice leadership award named after me in my community. Actually, all three high schools have it. But in any case, I went to the one this year and I spoke. I gave about three minutes on good leadership. And I may use the quote by Norman Schwarzkopf. He of Gulf War fame for the U.S. 1991. Uh, This is a guy that was rated as the top strategic military leader of his time. Top strategic military leader. He said, leadership is a potent combination of character and strategy. If you must be without one, be without strategy. So says the biggest is strategic leader of his time. Put the two together, strategy and character. And which one should you take to the bank? You should take character with you. And to me, that's the demise of far too many people, is that they haven't stuck with their own sense of what's good character. And obviously, all of us have failed in some parts of our lives and hopefully have managed to recover from that and move past. But that's one that will really stick with you if you're not careful. So anyway. You've got all of my knowledge summed up in 55 minutes.
1: I know a lot of the times, George, that you use the expression tone at the top. And I think that's so critical for a CAO because everybody is watching us mirroring our behavior. So if we are having the ability, and I think as CAOs, we need to be brave. Yeah. And we need to not be too familiar with staff or council. And I think we need to tell those hard things yeah. to the political people. Yeah. And I think it's all, not always a pleasant thing to do, but it's something we must do as CAOs yeah. or city managers. Yeah,
2: yeah. I would argue that a council sets the legislative tone at the top, the community tone at the top, a CAO sets the administrative tone at the top. Yeah. And boy, everything sort of tumbles down from there. And if your tone at the top is not based on quality ethics, quality management practices, I'll guarantee you that this thing starts to disassemble pretty quickly. So, yeah, yeah, that's a critical point, Anne.
1: And I think you have to have a really strong moral compass because you hit it right on the head. We are dealing with public funds. And once you lose public trust, you can never get that back.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks to both of you for inviting me to your program. I'll be interested to know where does it go how does somebody access it? I've had somebody ask me already. How do we how do we jump onto the program? And so you'll need to advise me well, as to where it's available.
0: We will get that link out there. And sage advice is always. And we so appreciate you coming as a guest and and talking. And you've spoke so eloquently to ethics, which I know has been you know an underpinning of your entire career. And We've referenced a few times some of the books. In fact, I had the, the pleasure of working on hundreds of your articles and all of your books up to this point. But I understand uh, that you've got uh, something new in the works.
2: Yeah, I'm doing book number 11 uh, called uh, The CAO. So I might change it to The City Manager, but uh, I'm doing one called The CAO. I've got the input from about 15 or 20 CAOs across Canada in response to a series of about 10 questions that I've asked. The book is probably halfway completed. I've got a lot of work to do yet, and then I'll get it into municipal world, and uh, they've agreed to publish it. So I think uh, CAOs and municipal managers uh, will find it useful. At least I trust they do.
1: I'm looking forward to that. The only one of your books I haven't read yet is The Mayor, but I do have it. It's on my desk and (laughs) it's on my to-do list because most of your books I've read quite a few times. What I would, I would just like to thank you so much, George. I love your passion for local government and you've been at it for so long and you're still so passionate. I could listen to you all day, but I know we have to wrap it up.
2: Thank you very much to both of you. Blessings to both of you. Thank Thank you, George take care all the best
0: bye-bye bye-bye thanks for joining us in the local gov cafe if you enjoyed this episode please take a minute to share it on social media or tell a friend and we hope you'll join us next time as we welcome our next guest you won't want to miss it